certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. After a two-week break, today, the trial of the century resumed for 2020, only to be abruptly halted, with prosecution staff sent shopping to buy partitions that would prevent those inside the courtroom from seeing distressing photos and videos. Welcome back, podcast listeners. I'm Natalie Bongiolo, and also welcome back, Damien Cripps. Thanks for having me back, Natalie. And hello again to the West Australian's legal affairs editor, Tim Clark, calling in from Supreme Court. Hi, guys. Hi. Welcome back to you both. Um, So this seems highly unusual. Tim, how did this all unfold this morning, that we had staff being sent to Officeworks? Yeah, it was a bit strange, Nat. Um, So there'd been some discussion um, pre-Christmas and pre-New Year about what the... uh, what the program was going to be, and we, we, we were all pretty sure what it was going to entail, which was um, uh, post-mortem videos and photographs, and, and firstly the burial sites of where Jane and Kira were both found. And this was from the perspective of the police mostly, um, mm-hmm. as they came to the scene and discovered what they found and, and then and had to describe, obviously now to the court, um, what the scene was. Um, but what hadn't been established or firmed up was exactly how all that material was going to be displayed in court. As we've discussed before, this is an electronic trial, so all the documents and photographs and videos are being shown on big screens around the court, as well as all the smaller screens on the bar table. But when it came to the crunch this morning, um, Justice Hall and the two sides, both defence and prosecution, came to the conclusion that they would, no one was comfortable with any of this sensitive material being shown on large screens in court. But also, it, that meant that it shouldn't be shown on small screens, which are on the bar table, which are clearly visible from the back of the court, particularly for the media, because they're, we're, we're in the front rows, but for all the public gallery behind. And I've got to say, today, the public gallery is absolutely packed again. So what was eventually concluded was that the front four screens at the front bar table, which is where Mr. Jovic and Mr. Bar- Miss Barbara Gallo sit, the, the uh, screens, those screens should be able to um, show and uh, the videos and photographs, but none of the other screens in court. But the problem was that those four screens where the prosecution and defence sit are clearly visible. And so a very hasty solution was had to come up with by various court staff, um, um, Justice Hall staff, and it was concluded that some screens were needed. It was firstly thought that they might be a trip to Bunnings, which for our overseas listeners is a very popular hardware store, akin to, uh, to B&Q or, or Walmart based maybe in the US. Um, well, that was uh, swiftly put to one side, and Office Works, which is a stationary outlet here in Western Australia, was 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 the chosen uh, store. And uh, so, Brad Hollingsworth, you'll know Brad Damien. He's a very senior prosecutor, very well known and well regarded around town as one of the, well, a very good prosecutor. He was dispatched off to Office Works in East Perth, along with another couple of staff members, to buy four 
projector screens, uh, Epson projector screens, which were then rapidly brought back to court and hastily erected so that uh, the trial could continue. So it was, uh, it was a bizarre start to the new year, I'm going to say. Damien, does this seem, you know, quite unprecedented to you? <laughs> I've never heard anything like it. Um, it's it's uh, an interesting u- uh, utilisation of Mr Hollingsworth's time. Um, but if they had made a decision, um, obviously it sounds like uh, Tim, all parties, prosecution, defence and the, uh, the bench were all on board with the decisions. So there's obviously good reasoning behind it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was the, 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 the reasoning, there was no doubt that it, it was done in the best interests of what everyone thought would be the smooth running of the trial. Um, Carmel, Barbara Gallo, in her sort of opening gambit to the judge explaining what the situation was, she actually said that she'd had um, dispatches from both the Rimmer and the Glennon families as, as, as late as this morning to say we, they were both concerned, worried, troubled by the by the possibility of this material being seen by basically anyone who wa- wanted to see it, who walked into court. Um, so far as Mr. Glenn and Dennis, who was in court this morning, had written a letter um, expressing those thoughts and emotions um, that that Miss Barbara Gallo offered to, to show to the court or, sh- or to put to the judge so he could see it. But it didn't come to that because all the parties had basically agreed that this, this is what we think should happen. But then it was, it was a, a case, a rapid case of, well, how should it happen? Um, but, you know, all's well that ends well. They, they found a, a, an ingenious solution. Um, it, was, it was able to be um, done within the uh, allotted time the judge had given before 2.15 when the court was due to resume. And when we did resume, the screens were in place and, and the witnesses were able to start giving their evidence. So, Natalie, can I cut in here and just ask Tim a question? <laughs> Not that I've never done it before. <laughs> Tim, probably on everyone's mind, could you see the screens? No, no, we couldn't, Damien. And that was part of the judge's reasoning that he, he basically said, um, I would, they, don't, they don't want the press or the media or the public. The, the way Justice Hall put it was anyone who doesn't need to see that material shouldn't see it. Um, and so that's 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 where we're at. So, so Tim, um, who could see the footage? Um, so the front row, the front bar table, which are the seat, the most senior of the lawyers. So Mr. Jovic, going from right to left, Mr. Jovic, who we know is the lead defence prosecutor, uh, lead defence lawyer, Genevieve Cleary, who's his offsider in this trial, Tara Payne, who is Miss Barbara Gallo's offsider in this trial. Those four lawyers on the front row, they could see it. The judge. Um, the associates of the judge, obviously, who are actually called on to bring up the material on on the um, the server, um, and Mr. Edwards, um, as as he has to be able to give him the option to see all the evidence that's put against him. Now, Mr. Edwards, through his lawyers earlier on in the process, has said, "I'm I've no interest in seeing it." Um, but um, we couldn't see whether his screen was working this afternoon, so we don't know whether, because some of it was played this afternoon, but a little tidbit of some of the video taken at the, the scene of Miss Rimmer's um, body discovery was played today. Um, but no, but we couldn't see it, and we're not going to see it. Um, we were having a discussion amongst ourselves, the reporters covering the trial this afternoon, whether, whether we were 
pleased that we wouldn't be subjected to that or um, a bit disappointed that we didn't get the choice, but we didn't get the choice and, that, and that's where we're at. So we will just have to rely on the descriptions given by the witnesses and, and, the, uh, and the prosecution of the defence. Was there any audio to go with the footage? Could you hear anything? Um, well, you would think there would be, but we certainly, could, certainly couldn't hear it in, in court in the, in the little piece that was played today. Um, that might well become an issue, Matt, um, because certainly in the post-mortem videos, we understand that the pathologist sort of gives a sort of running commentary as they're going along as, to, as the procedures as they're carried out. And they're going to become critical because we know that um, you know, the, the sanctity of, of that um, procedure and particularly whether there was any contamination during it, it's going to be a major issue in the trial. It becomes interesting to contemplate. And I guess, Tim, you'd probably have a reasonable idea about what the material was. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean the, first, the first tranche of it this afternoon started was where Jane's body was actually found off, off, that, off Walcott Road in, in Wellard. Uh, and from, you know, the mo- basically the moment that it was found or how it was found untouched um, right through until its um, removal, where it went to from then to the you know, pathologist lab down in Perth and then everything that happened to it thereafter. So, yeah, you, you get an idea of, of, of what that material is going to be. And we've obviously had quite graphic descriptions of, of what was found there. Um, in, in Jane's case and in, in Kira's case, we know that there were serious wounds to her her neck. We know there was serious decomposition because she'd been there for nearly nine weeks. And we know, and it was even reiterated this afternoon by one of the police officers who did attend the scene very early on, that there had been animal activity um, during that time as well. So you know it's not going to be, they're not going to be pretty pictures, Mm. but as Damien would know much better than me, having sat in on murder trials, they're never pretty, it's never pretty, this evidence is never easy to process or look at. But thinking about it, I personally, I think I would prefer to see it because as Damien said, it's, it's it's a piece of the picture that is is going to be absolutely vital to the trial and as someone who's trying to bring the trial to people who cannot be in the court you 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 know you'd want to as much access to the material as not but i completely understand the reasoning why um and uh i have no argument with it but that, that would have been my preference um but uh that's it. The judge has made his call and, and we move on. Were there any relatives of the victims in court today? Was Jane's mum, Jenny, there or her siblings? Uh, Jane's sister, um, Lee, and her brother, Adam, were there again today. Um, and as I mentioned, Dennis was there. Um, so there was, yeah, there was quite a, um, quite a contingent and the public gallery was absolutely packed, couldn't move. Um, given it's still Christmas and New Year's holiday here, and maybe people have, have got a little bit more time, um, and obviously the interest in the in the trial is still massive, and that was the reason for the um, the the attendance. 
um, but they were all sort of sent away <laughs> for a few hours to twiddle their thumbs or go and do some late Boxing Day or shopping while, while the screens were sorted. But everyone was there, pretty much everyone was there when we went back at, at, after lunch as well. So the interest is, is still very, very high. So good, the good thing about it, I guess, too, Tim, having resolved it today, that is, as the trial goes on, if any other... Um, days come up where there's an issue with that they're all set up to have exactly. a day where, where exactly. they can... exactly and I, I and that was it was unfortunate this morning that it happened but it as put mr jovic said it's a necessary evil to get it done quickly this morning when it's all done so we can they can just and they did but they were back on by 215 and and got through four or five witnesses this afternoon which uh, you know as well as i do i mean sometimes justice the wheels of justice grind very slowly but in, in this case there was uh, that everyone's um, problem solving skills came to the fore and there uh, and it was sorted pretty quickly so was it safe to say to him that today we've had three of western australia's greatest minds possibly australia's greatest minds <laughs> <laughs> Justice Hall, Miss Barbagallo and Mr yeah. Jovic solve a problem in the court that could be precedent for many, many years to come. Indeed. Um, it went further than that, Mr Jovic. I spotted Mr Jovic myself with a tape measure in hand. <laughs> <laughs> Measuring how high the screens would need to be to stop um, the not only the public gallery being able to see those screens on the front, but the high up camera that is streaming the proceedings to the various media rooms around the court. So the, a measurement was taken with Mr. Mr. Jovic with, with tape measure in hand, making sure that it could all be done. So everyone, it, it was all hands to the pump this morning to make sure that justice um, got on um, this afternoon, as it did. So once the screens were in place, the witnesses, mm. uh, you started to hear from the witnesses. Now, these are the police officers that first arrived at the crime scene. Yes. Um, so they were constables at the time, but they now um, one is now a, a senior border force officer, and, and another another is still a police officer of many years standing. So they were on duty uh, on the day that Jane's body was discovered. They got the call, or got the radio call um, to to go to the scene, and that's exactly what they did. And they they became the first police officers on the scene on Walcott Road. Um, and both told the court this afternoon how, how, what they found, what they saw, and then how they acted after that very, uh, very grim discovery. So, did they? Uh, could they? Did they say they could see the body from the road, or did they go into the bush? So, the first two officers on the scene said they definitely couldn't. They, they, they described as other witnesses had before. It being close to the road, but being very dense once you got off the road, um, and being the, the body, sort of basically the, the lady, Tammy Van Ralter, who found the body coming with them and basically pointing out the exact spot where it was, and then both of them stepping off the road and into that that thick bush to, to see whether what Miss Van Ralter had said she'd found was actually there <clears throat> and both of them described this afternoon how they did they, they went in, they saw or confirmed to themselves that that was in fact a body and then quickly retreated back to the road and called more senior officers 
um, the CIB, as it was then, which is the Criminal Investigation Branch, um, to come and take over the scene and, and do what they needed to do. Did they um, know at this stage whether they were looking at a male or a female? Did they have that knowledge? One of them said, uh, the first one, um, Officer Davis, he said he wasn't even sure that he could um, tell the sex of the body because, as we described before, the body was face down. Mm -hmm. It was partially covered with brush. It had been there a long time. He described it as a white, basically a white waxy object that he saw, but he was satisfied. He'd satisfied himself that that's what it was, was a corpse. And so, and then his partner, um, she, she described how she went even closer, maybe up to, to a meter away from where the body was to again convince herself. But again, she said because of the, the positioning and the way it was covered, um, and the other factors that she wasn't exactly sure um, of age or sex or anything like that, but she was sure what that it was a corpse, and so they both came away. And both, most importantly, probably for the case, they both were adamant that they hadn't touched um, Jean when, where she was laying, because that is where most of the defence questioning what went this afternoon as to how close you got, what did you do when you got there, what what car did you get there, what were you wearing, were you wearing uniform, those type of things, which is all trying to obviously establish possible contamination of with both fibres, or only fibres in Jane's case, but further down the track, those same questions will be asked over and over again in Kira's case as well. So presumably uh, they've made the phone call and then some more senior officers or detectives have arrived on the scene as well. Yeah, correct. And this was this was the sort of standout little vignette from this afternoon for mine. Um, a detective, Frazier, who was the most, the most senior detective um, after the two officers that got there first, he arrived... Um, once again, had to con- convince him, well, not convince himself, but but satisfy himself that there was a body in there. He said he didn't even go. Well, he insisted that he could actually, he could or did satisfy himself that it was a body while still stood on the road. Where, mm-hmm. And he was questioned quite vigorously about that, but it was insistent. But then he began what they call a running sheet. And a running sheet from from the police's point of view, it's basically an on-the-spot log that one officer is tasked to, to, to compile and keep compiling of all the actions that are taken on the day and, and people who arrive and calls that are made and um, to, to, to keep a, a basic but um, ten, contemporaneous log of all the police action on the day. And that was Detective Fraser's um, job on the day. And within hours... You could see how many officers, how many tasks, how many phone calls were made. Um, senior detectives from then Rockingham, which is a which is a suburb south of Perth, turned up, and then homicide detectives turned up, then macro task force detectives turned up, then forensic officers turned up, videographers, photographers, and then most importantly, probably 
there was two pathologists that were called pathologist Karen Margolius, who was a very senior pathologist at the time in Perth, actually carried out the post-mortem. And then Dr. Clive Cook, who was her boss, and also a dentist was, was, was called as well, presumably to take dental impressions so that the, the identity of the, of the body could be confirmed. And that was all within maybe two hours of the discovery, all that, all that activity. Uh, you know, a command post had been set up at the end of Walcott Road. A media liaison officer had been called to deal with all us types probably turning up, um, harassing the detectives to see what they'd found. So it was an absolute hive of activity within within you know the space of two hours, um, and that was even before any any real significant forensic actions had been taken. Um, so it was it was quite remarkable to just uh, to have one of the officers that was there describe the speed and 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 intensity of the investigation as it erupted. And, and you know, as I've said in the newspaper piece tomorrow, a lot of those officers will now actually be called to give evidence about what they did um, and, and, and their actions. And a lot of that will be on the prosecution side to just confirm all, all their running sheets and notes and evidence and statements that they've given. But on the defence side will be, what did you do? What did you touch? Did you touch anything you shouldn't have touched? Um, so that back and forth will now... Um, progress for many many days and, and weeks to come Tim in relation to obviously people in podcasts come in and out and just for the purposes of anyone that hasn't been on with us from since the start do has the trial revealed to us at this point how long that body had been there every uh, indication is Damien that Jane went Jane was alive, as we as we know from after she left the Continental Hotel on June the third. Uh, sorry, June the ninth, and she went missing on that day. And every indication says that she she died pretty much within hours of her going missing. Um, those screams that we've heard about in Wellard the prosecution say were indicia of her being attacked in that location or very close to the location where her body was found on that evening. And then it's it's just over 50 days from that evening to August when she's discovered. So, and there's been no, there's been no suggestion by prosecution or defence that that timeline is, is, is out somewhat, that she's been held somewhere or kept somewhere for any length of time after she's left the continental there's there's no suggestion of that so that so that that timeline is is pretty is pretty solid um and it hasn't been and it hasn't been sought to be knocked over by either side really so tim it's quite interesting you know that this um that the body has been there for let's say 40 days mm. 40 to 50 days laying there in the wilderness and then all of a sudden on this moment that we heard evidence about today, the world turns up and tries to freeze in time. Yeah. This, this, what's left of, you know, um, you know, for lack of a better word, um, what would have been a deteriorating scene. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's quite daunting to have that thought, isn't it? That, that, you know, you, you mentioned that there was some word that wildlife had been involved and mm -hmm. out in the wilderness, out in the elements. And then all of a sudden 
there's such a huge effort by um, you know the police and everything to try to capture in time this one moment where we now realise and know where this body is. Yeah, and uh, as we've mentioned before, but you know, listeners, new listeners might not be aware, Wellard is um, about 45 kilometres south of Perth, which is the capital of Western Australia, which was a very busy metropolis at the time, even busier now. But Wellard itself was quite rural, semi-rural. There were only a few houses around, maybe four or five. Um, a colleague of mine took the drive out there last week um, to have a look at, at the, that scene now, and it's completely different now. Um, it's, it's much more built up. The, road, the Walcott Road at the time was limestone. It wasn't even covered with tarmac. It was, as I say, semi-rural. Um, and now it's uh, and, and now it's basically an outer suburb of Perth, very outer, but it is a suburb. So you can imagine um, that moment for all those detectives who'd been. We, you know, we can't mustn't forget they've been they've been looking for Jane for nearly eight nine weeks. Um, the, the the missing person report was put in. We heard today, you know, within hours of her not turning up for lunch the the, the day after she went out, Jenny had another had um, told police this is not like her. She's definitely missing. We know Sarah was already gone. Uh, the you know the, the the frenzy that began even with Jane's disappearance, and then when that discovery was made, uh, as was sort of graphically illustrated by this these scribbles on this piece of A4 paper today by the detective within like minutes uh, you know minute after minute after minute something else was happening within within minutes of the discovery um, and you can only imagine the what those detectives that were driving to the scene must have been thinking mm -hmm. the, the, the macro detectives that have been working on this case for you know months and months and months first with Sarah and then with Jane and Tim do you know how soon after discovering the body that they identified it as being Jane Rimmer well that's what's to come Matt in in in, in the days and weeks to come tomorrow we will hear from more police officers in fact the the head the, the boss the, the detective Adams who was the boss of the scene at the time once he once he turned up he was in charge and he's he's listed to be a witness very soon um and then they will, the witnesses will go through that evidentiary process of how they what they did once they got there the removal of jane's body gradually from where she was found how all that material around her was was bagged and tagged and and placed into evidence and then her removal with the pathologist's um, to the mortuary um, through ha the hands of, of, of some funeral directors, we understand. And so that, that is how the next week or so of evidence will piece together where they went from, we've got a body, then we think it's a woman. Well, is it? Could it be? Yes, it is. That's what the, the, the picture that the prosecution will, will attempt to paint over the next few days. Tim, the witnesses today, the police officers, were they shown the video footage and asked to comment on it or ask questions about it at all? Yes, they were. Um, not in any great length. It was more to be shown, is this 
is it was this your car for instance did you park here on the road how close did you get well the, this video shows these people in this car in this situation not on the road um but the video when the videographer as he was filming pretty pretty much walked right into the scene where um jane was in situ which was why it was described as sensitive material or agreed it was sensitive material and so shouldn't shouldn't be shown so those police were shown that that footage but more more to um as a establish where they were in the in the scene and and, and the, the physical geography of it um more than actual precise um bits of evidence concerning forensics I can't help but think um, the more that I think about it, Tim and Natalie, hearing you know uh, in in our conversation today, the amount of time that um, that their body had laid there, mm. and and the hours that had ticked away, and the days and the nights and the sunrises and the sunsets that had gone past, and that body had been there um, to some extent, eating away at the evidence, whatever the evidence is, mm. and then that moment in time that. Tim and the rest of the courtroom would have heard about today when this all of a sudden this um, onslaught of police and detectives and forensics turned up just trying to stop that deterioration, capture it in, and uh, it, it would have been quite extraordinary, Tim, like you say, and, and, and it, it sounds like that it was it's just a you know a small taste of what what's to come for the rest of the week. If you think about what we've just been talking about, Natalie, with the um, with the body being in that place for the extended period of time, when the police would have turned up back then, they would have recognised that obviously it was a body and they had to identify what the body was. The first question is just tracing back to how the body ended up where it is, trying to map your way back. If you think Mm -hmm. of what we see now in Google Maps, finding a location and then mapping your way all the Mm -hmm. way back to obviously the culprit and the person who... But back then, when this was all happening, they had no idea where the starting point was. So it's if you think about it this way, all this time down the track now, some however many years later it is, we now all of a sudden have a starting point, allegedly. We seem to have somewhere where we... There's an allegation that somebody did this. So trying now to fill all the, the gaps in about the map getting from where it was when it was located back to the starting point or the allegation of the starting point and that moment in time that we're talking about becomes so crucial now because... There was this period of time of 50 days or thereabouts that was working against answering that question. And then when the police turn up on that day, they're frantically trying to save that moment in time to, to the best of their ability. And it, it, it's quite um, surreal to, to think about that all unfolding over this period of time in our, in our beautiful state and city. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you both for your time today. Extraordinarily complex, really, isn't it? And it's only going to get more and more complex as, as time goes on. Um, thank you both for your time. Thank you to all the listeners who sent us um, a lot of feedback over the two-week break. We did receive it all, and we will definitely try to get to some of those questions. We've had a lot more questions coming through. So just a reminder, if you'd like to contact us with questions or feedback, it's Podcast at wanews.com. And we'll be back tomorrow for Claremont in Conversation with Alison Fan and Tim. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for Day 19. Chat then. This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. 
Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.